Hello and welcome to episode 51 of Pixel Sift. I'm your host Gianni and as usual I'm joined by my co-hosts in the studio and they go by the names of Mitch and they go by the names of Scott. I like the studio better. Yeah. Yep. What do you mean you like the studio better? No one's like watching you. Well, they are, but you know, of course not, they are. They're not in front of These you. cameras aren't just uh, <laughs> Mitch, are you maybe aware that we are going live out on Twitch? Oh, right is this not what so, this flashing thing so is? So, people are watching us. See this thing in front of you? That's a camera. So. Put the phone down, Mitch. People can see you. <laughs> I'm trying to access the Twitch chat. Mitch, uh, although he has a fundamental misunderstanding of what yep. we do here, uh, we're also joined this week by Tom Cox. He's from Wellhammer Go. At, Wellhammer Games, sorry, in Canberra. Uh, and he'll be talking to us about his game. Tahira, Echoes of the Astral Empire. Tom, thanks for joining us. Hey, how's it going? We're going very well, and uh, thanks for joining us from, uh, I imagine, semi-sunny ACT? Maybe? Should check the weather. Um, it's, well, it's dark here now, but it was sunny today. It was quite pleasant. Close enough, close enough. Yep, so uh, some people behind the uh, DDoS attacks that are all too common these days. Law enforcement has finally caught up with some of the perpetrators. So we'll be talking about that today. And Scott, our last topic. That's it. Our last topic for today will once again be looking into the world of esports. This time we're focusing on some of the high-profile names and companies that are buying in. All that and a little bit more. <laughs> but uh, before that, let's jump into the shipping news with Brian Fairbanks. Stirfire Studios have just released an official trailer for their upcoming virtual reality sim, Symphony of the Machine, which will be available on the PlayStation VR and HTC Vive platforms. Symphony of the Machine is a weather simulator puzzler where you use music to control the weather and bring an ancient dead world back to life. You can find the trailer on our website. Symphony of the Machine will also be exhibited at an upcoming virtual reality and augmented reality workshop hosted at the City of Perth Library on Friday the 21st of October as part of Knowledge Week. This event will be led by Dr. Kate Raines-Goldie, who joined us in episode 44, and you can find tickets at pixelsif.com.au slash knowledge. Perth Studio 42 Bytes has just announced release of their free beta version of Last Driver Z, a low-poly zombie shooter and driver sim. You can drive through beaten up streets, run over zombies, upgrade your vehicles, and recruit more people for your group of survivors. It's available on iOS and Android. Head to pixelsift.com.au slash zombie car for links to the game. That was shipping news for October the 13th, my name is Brian Fairbanks. Pixel Sim! It's not Pixel Siv, it's Pixel Sift. Pixel Sim! Yeah, so the girls and boys behind the organizations such as Lizard Squad and Team Poodle have been responsible for many online gaming disruptions over the past decade. But for the longest time, it seems that the individuals involved were untouchable until now. So, pretty much, some people have actually gotten in pretty serious trouble over DDoSing and. Two years yeah. ago, it seems like it's a long time ago. It was 2014 that this all kind of started going down. Uh, I don't know if you remember, but I remember quite clearly when uh, these uh, systems were sort of taken out, uh, Xbox Live and PlayStation Network. It was all about Christmas, so, you know, yeah. holidays, time to spare, time to play games, but no, no such luck. Not like, for you. People, like, getting the consoles out for the first time and finding that they were just 
useless. Oh, you'd be gutted. It's an amazing thing that the uh, internet plays such a huge role in these new consoles. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't got ability to get onto the services, it's uh, pretty limited in what you can actually sort of do with that. Uh, Mitch, what can you tell us about the, the people who've been charged for this thing? Obviously, yeah, so they've only just been charged at this point, not yep. at... Uh, you don't have been convicted yet. Right. So basically, the international investigation into the activities of Lizard Squad and Poodle Corp are the operators of pretty much for a for hire denial of service attack service where you can actually pay them to bring down a website. Um, so they has resulted in two men being charged, um, Mr. Zachary Butch, Butcher, 19, from Maryland, and Bradley Jan. Uh, Valley, Bradley Jan William Van Ru- Rui. Wow. Rui. Uh, oh. Also oh. 19 from Leiden, Netherlands. Um, as so that, they've been charged. Uh, uh, in, uh, basically, if you don't know, a DDoS is kind of a, very similar to what happened to the Australian census when everyone who was trying to jump online and do that. Uh, yeah. It's basically you've got a very small doorway and every single person uh, tries to jam through that at the same time, and it just causes a backup. And that's it. It's, no it one just can get past that point. It, it's, it overwhelms an online service with traffic from multiple services all until around the world. Nobody can use it, basically. Yeah, and I think one of the things about it is that it isn't a very complex uh, attack to do. Mm-hmm. It is something that can be done very easily, and people who uh, are not technically proficient can kind of pull these off. Most online hosting systems have got some sort of DDS. DDoS uh, mitigation built into them, but if it's so large that you know it's kind of difficult to kind of stop that, yeah. then you can't load balance all of that stuff to different services. You're talking so, like millions of requests per second type thing. Yeah, yeah. you're talking about yeah a lot of stuff at the same time. So. Yeah, so PC Invasion is the article I'm actually referencing here. So the the service that actually so the type of organization that you can pay f- to actually inflict one of these attacks on a website is actually called a stressor. So I just <laughs> I learned that today. Great name. For yeah, it. and That's so. Awesome. I mean, it's quite often used in terms of, uh, I know the Blizzard servers have actually been attacked uh, quite frequently. Whenever they have a high-profile game release, they tend to be attacked at the same time, partially because loads are going to be higher at the same time from legitimate players trying to log on and and, and join in on the game, but also some people out there and they just want to spoil the fun for everyone. That's it. I mean, earlier this year, um, a judge in Adelaide sentenced a 15-year-old to a family conference, which is basically... an agreement between the police officer and the family to punish the child correctly um, for launching DDoS attacks on his school. And <laughs> no, but wait, that was just the start of it. And then he went on to the Commonwealth Bank of Australia. Oh, and then he went on to Acorn, which is the Australia cybercrime, Australian cybercrime uh, online reporting network. Um, <laughs> that, that escalated really quickly. Look, from uh, his school to the bank, and then to an to, organization. Uh, to a cybercrime reporting network. Yeah. Was this guy looking for he attention? He only did it for like 20 minutes or so, apparently, but um, still. Isn't that like know. driving past a cop car and flipping the bird? Is that, is that what I think that's it, the, I the equivalent know. of it? Something very funny Surely. about it. Yeah. Tom, you've just gone through and uh, released uh, a game in the last, so it came out in August. Um, tell me a little bit about some of the things that were out of your hands that were sort of uh, you experienced when you were trying to release that game. Was there anything that came you came across you were like, well, I haven't got any control over this, but this is sort of putting up a barrier? Um, to some extent, yeah. Like the obvious one is uh, just getting people to see our game. Uh, so, like we've had quite a few positive reviews. We've had a couple of negative reviews, which is another thing we can't do anything about. But we just haven't gotten the game in front of that many people. Is the biggest obstacle for us, and the biggest thing that's out of our control. Like we can tell press websites we're launching. We can tell everyone we're coming, but it's still like 
you're just throwing it out there and hoping someone listens, really. And you're hoping that, I guess, nothing else kind of comes out of the, the woodwork and, and causes a roadblock for you, these things that you, you sort of can't really control. And Oh, uh, yeah, that's... Yes, you've got... Um, you haven't well, been DDoS, the, I hoped, in, your, in the release of your... No, our game isn't an online game. Like, once you've got the... It, it's very much an offline single-player experience. So we're not as vulnerable to DDoS as, as things like, you know, Blizzard's games are. But we... I mean, the other sort of thing you can get happen is um which thankfully we haven't is the sort of things where um i guess similar to like the gamergate sort of thing where a whole bunch of people just jump on you and start attacking you on social media mm. a negative kind That's, of review sort of cycle and, and attack cycle well, i guess it's sort of the same sort of thing where people who are going out of their way to make uh, everyone's experience bad just yeah, to be to troll and just to be you know not very nice yeah, it's um and like it doesn't take like it's doesn't take a lot of effort on each of the individuals attacking you on their part to actually really cause you problems if there's enough people doing it, which is kind of like really hard to defend against. It's very difficult. Which is again the same thing that's happening with the DDoS attack. That's right. The scale of it versus the team that you've got is obviously something that is something to think about. So, yeah, I think uh, we'll see how this sort of develops in terms of uh, what happens to people who carry out these sort of attacks. Yeah. And um, So the question is, since these guys have actually now been formally, like the consequences have pretty much been leveled against them, real world consequences, it'll... it'll It'll just see how it affects the whole culture of DDoSing and other things like swatting and things like that, where people seem to think they can just get away with it because they do it on the internet. Suddenly, there are very real consequences behind their actions. I think the big factor is that people often forget when they are going after people on the internet that there is a person quite often at the other end of the keyboard and you aren't just attacking them for, for the lols uh, to you know make their day worse, but you are actually impacting people who are live in the real world and maybe it means in christmas in 2014 you weren't able to play on playstation network but there would be people who were working for playstation who would have had a you know a bad time or yeah or an x or an xbox as well who have had a rough, rough christmas because of the things that you kind of t go ahead and you know, do this thing is going to become more of a problem in australia now that we've got the mbn kind of rolling out ever so slowly uh and the more uh, connectivity of like o iot devices in the region um you know, it is on a rise. I think last year we made the top 10 list of sources for DDoS attacks, like equaling with companies such as uh, companies, countries such as Germany and Russia and Korea even. All it takes is for a, a computer that you've got, maybe it sits in, uh, you know, an elderly relative or an older relative who hasn't updated all their security patches and they get joined into one of these uh, botnets, basically. Um, and then their computer can be used for, for hire, basically. Never even know. Unscrupulous people. Look, uh, it's, it's definitely something interesting. We're going to keep a top of this one. There's probably not the last DDoS that we've ever heard of. Um, there will be more in the world of gaming. But right now, let's jump into our next topic where we're going to be chatting to Tom. Uh, he's from Whalehammer Games in Canberra, and we'll be talking all about his game, Tahira, Shadows of the Astral Empire. You're listening to Pixel Sorry, not Shadows of the Empire, Echoes of the Astral Empire. You got... said it earlier. <laughs> I know. You were like, don't I... mess it up. And I was like, yep. 
I got it. Sorry, Tom. And you Sorry, don't Tom. have it. Oh. I don't think that's going to matter. I don't think people are going <laughs> to accidentally go out and buy Tahira Shadows of the Astral, Astral Empire. As far as I know, that game doesn't exist. <laughs> as long as you put in Tahira, that should be fine. Yeah. You should be able to Tahira find it. is the important bit. You got that right. Great. Oh, I've just played a lot of Shadows of the Empire on the N64 back in the yep. day, so it has a, a fond <laughs> part in my heart, and I'm just throwing back into the world of... Of, uh, of spaceships and things. Now, your game is actually technically a science fiction game, though looking at the trailers uh, and the videos online and playing a bit through it, you can might not see that from an initial glance. Could you tell us a little bit about the, the, the game and the world that you guys at uh, Wellhammer have uh, created? Sure. The, um, the game itself is a turn-based strategy game, um, so very much inspired by a lot of the GBA-era games, such as uh, Final Fantasy Tactics and Fire Emblem, and to a lesser extent, things like Advance Wars. Um, it's set on a, a as, you, as you said, it's a sci-fi setting. It's set on a post-fall, uh, uh, post um, basically it's set on a post... Oh, God, I'm... Post-collapse? Uh, post-collapse, thank yeah. you. Um, yeah, Post-collapse world, um, after so it was formerly a colony world of a spacefaring civilization, but uh, that civilization has fallen. So it's now back to a sort of medieval era of technology, lots of swords and bow and arrow and that sort of thing, um, but still with these relics of the spacefaring civilization scattered around, um, which some people, including our titular character Tahira, can make use of, but... These are sort of they've because they're so like it's that um, that Isaac Asimov quote um, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic so they have that sort of superpower effect um, for those who can wield them. Is that an important part of building this world and that you've got uh, sort of a t- decay in knowledge and and telling the players w- when they're jumping into this world about a, a kind of you know teasing that world of what was there before and what's there now. Yeah, like it's it's not the focus of our story. The focus of our story is very much to hear a um, sort of. So what happens in the story is that Tahira gets um, is initially away from Avastan, which is her home kingdom. Essentially, she is the princess of Avastan. She gets a message uh, saying that it's been being invaded and that she needs to come home. Um, so the the story follows her coming home and trying to essentially take what's left of her kingdom and escape this massive invading army, which claims to be descended from the astral empire that colonized the world. So whilst the like the spacefaring civilization is never the focus of the story, it's very much the setting and sort of colors everything that happens and dictates how the game's events unfold. What are some of the things, if you look at the game, you can see there's a very strong uh, sort of Middle Eastern medieval sort of inspiration there. How did that kind of come about and why did that make sense in terms of merging it with a uh, sort of a almost a semi-science fiction sort of uh, theme? Well, it's a shame Peter isn't here to talk about that because um, it was very much inspired by his travels through first the Middle East and then um, uh, through um, further east, through um, India and Nepal. Uh, so I'm probably the wrong person to be asking about why that's the setting. Well, that's all right. It's obviously a very striking setting and you've got a very nice yeah. uh, sort of uh, kind of hand animated almost style of, of animation. Uh, of Well, animation. it is hand animated. Yeah, and it's quite beautiful though. Uh, and not just that, but like the, just the little details that have gone into it really kind of uh, is quite striking. Thank you. 
What is it uh, about the sort of tactical game genre? Like you mentioned the Final Fantasy Tactics uh, on the uh, Game Boy Advance and then obviously it's an older genre came in, coming out with the, you know, the Tactics Ogre series originally made by Enix, now Square, Square Enix. What is it about that sort of thing that kind of inspired you to make a game like that? Um, well, it's the games we loved growing up. Um, so Peter and I uh, have been friends since we were about six, eight years old and we've grown up together um, playing those games and they've really had a big, um, sure, they've been a big part of our lives. So we decide, when we decided we were going to make a game, that was really the obvious choice for us. When you're making a game like that, is it difficult to kind of stand in the shadow of a, of a genre that is obviously probably uh, well-developed? Well, it is well-developed, but, um, you know, but not, probably not the most popular or not most known style of game? Well, I, for us, that was... Part, another part of the appeal was that it's not, uh, I guess, like what we were looking at was that it's not a hugely saturated market. Like we're not competing with too many high profile games for um, people's attention. Like it felt like we would actually have an opportunity to innovate and to create something new and interesting and exciting there where we might not have if we'd gone to some other genres. So what sort of things have you done to kind of take that innovation and, and, and go with it? Um, so our, the combat in our game has a huge focus on guerrilla tactics because you're always outnumbered by the enemy, often at like three, four to one. Um, so you've really got to, so what we've done is we've created, uh, levels that are to some extent ex inspired by, uh, games like Warcraft three with their very unique level design with each level being very different. Um, to create situations where you have to use the world and the environment to, to your advantage to really make up for the huge um, numerical disadvantage you're at. What sort of, uh, you know, with, with making games in, in ACT, um, it's probably not uh, probably similar to Western Australia. It's not probably the name that comes to mind immediately for people thinking about the game development scene in Australia. And probably people are probably drawn to more your Melbournes, your Sydneys. What's the yep. scene like in ACT? Well, we actually have um, a, a, one of the campuses of the Academy of Interactive Entertainment here. So there is actually a surprisingly large game dev community here. Like, well, it would be surprising if you didn't know that, you know, if you, if you just knew that Canberra was a city of 300,000 people, you'd be surprised at how many game developers we actually have. Um, and that's because of the AIE. Um, they, like... Having so many AIA graduates here just means you tend to have lots of lots of studios like us, really small indie studios creating their own thing. It's quite quite pleasant, actually. Lots of people to talk to is there a about lot of, games. And sorry, go ahead. Is there a lot of support from uh, sort of I guess uh, st or state government sort of level? Uh, is there a film ACT that would be able to support the games industry, or is it something that's kind of self-funded? Um, it's mostly self-funded. There is some like we've managed to get. A couple of small um, bits of funding from the ACT government, not huge amounts. I think like we're there are, we're sort of pushing to try and get more as time goes on, but it's a very new here. Um, we like it feels like we're very much like the first wave of ACT developers or ACT indie developers. Well, you've just got a brand new uh, co-working space that's opened up not that long ago uh, with yeah, Game, we do. Game Plus, so uh, mm -hmm. it's uh, probably a good sort of bed in which to build upon. Uh, Tom, your game is uh, Tahira 
Echoes of the Astral Empire. Got it right that time. Uh, you can <laughs> yeah. go to wellhammergames.com uh, to check that out. It's available on Steam now. Uh, Tom, stick around because we're going to have a bit more of a chat uh, about our other topics um, and uh, learn a bit more about uh, game development from the perspective of uh, Wellhammer Games. Sounds good. Watch episodes, Let's Plays and more at youtube.com forward slash pixelsiftau. So, eSports, it's here to stay. It's getting bigger. When will it stop? Nobody knows. We've recently seen many large name companies, teams and people join the ranks of owners and team affiliates. So continuing on with our world of eSports coverage, our final topic for today, we'll be looking at some of the high profile names that are buying into eSports. Such as Scott, we've had I guess three really big ones in the last couple of weeks. Yep, I mean, uh, so uh, I guess the most recent um, of, I, I guess one of the most recent kind of areas that have jumped into esports uh, for whatever reason is NBA players and team owners, uh, and the most recent NBA player to involve himself in esports, uh, or one of the most recent, is uh, Nets point guard Jeremy Lin. He, he created a team called Team VJG VGJ. Uh, that'll be a participating in uh, Dota too, of course. We've had people like Shaquille O'Neal as well, who's also invested as part of uh, part of investment so, groups. So yeah, uh, to, to Shaquille O'Neal and recently retired New York Yankee uh, Alex Rodriguez um, were two of the investors who put money into Energy Sports, uh, which fields League of Legends and Counter Strike Go. We've also had uh, Magic Johnson as well, one of the uh, the, the, the the famous players uh, investing in this thing. <laughs> Absolutely, Look, I think this is an interesting topic because it it means that uh, esports are now being obviously recognised by these people who are very involved in the large professional sports organisations in the United States, uh, kind of taking a notice of of people who maybe won't be paying attention to the NBA as much as they would be paying attention to. League of Legends, or they might be paying attention to Let's Dota. Let's not confuse why these people are getting involved with yeah. it. As with a lot of, um, you know, NBA, um, you know, even NHL or NFL, these um, players turn, you know, regular Joes turn billionaires, are massive investors in all sorts of things because they want to turn, you know, their wickedly made money into more money. So this is about money. It is difficult to ignore the millions of dollars that gets funneled in and out of esports every yeah, year. Yeah, I mean, the professional gaming industry is predicted to uh, net like th- uh, 493 million this year, I'm pretty sure. So that is why we're getting a lot of high-profile investors coming in. Um, but I love that it's coming from sports, like already really kind of um, well-founded sports industries. I there's, think that's going to be... There's a lot of, I guess, uh, to use a business term, there's a lot of synergies between, you know, sports <laughs> yeah, and absolutely. Uh, people who have worked in the sporting industry and invested in the sporting industry for for a long time between that and esports. And I think it's interesting to see that people who may have not paid attention to this sort of thing are now kind of starting to clock on. I was reading today that the uh, the sort of average valuation for a high-profile esports team, like one that regularly places in the finals for a League of Legends match, is between 5 and 15 million dollars for Whoa. the team and the roster what? Um, yeah it's yeah, right. so the the valuation is between that amount of money so so what does that number actually mean so it it means <laughs> it's too that many means numbers if someone that makes sense to me if someone like, wants to buy into a team yeah the amount of money to get off the starting line is five million plus <sighs> to 15 million dollars well so that, that's because i mean the global esports market's valued at like 900 million dollars like it's no it's it's a pretty high profile monetary 
So if anybody would like into. to buy the Pixel Civ Esports team, <laughs> it will consist of Johnny, just Mitchell, Cool Mill. Yeah, yep. I think it's really interesting because it means that uh, as people start buying in, obviously then the number of high-profile teams will increase. But it also means that at the moment we've had a stage where just about uh, it, s- it seemed to be basically <clears throat> sort of a flat level. There were obviously the people who performed the best, but it, there was an opportunity for other teams to kind of come in and compete. But now when you've got these high-profile investors and large amounts of sponsorship money and things going through, will we see uh, sort of a, a change where it is only the professional high invested teams that have the ability to play this these games and it will be very similar to the structures that we have for you know AFL NBA uh Absolutely. NFL I mean that is that not the goal to have it as some huge kind of Forced to be reckoned with league. I guess that whether that means at the moment we've got sort of one tier and then there's sort of you know sort of a lower levels of tiers as it goes through. Maybe we'll see a bit more of a division of the structure where we actually have a a pro league where we have at the moment that currently exists. But maybe there will be B leagues I'd really and other like leagues that. underneath where people can move through development leagues where people get through. So we would be in like the. Z League. Don't even <laughs> kid yourself, Mitch. Yeah. We wouldn't even be anywhere close to that. Uh, We'd be playing county. Look, yeah. if there was a podcasting league, I think we might have a might yeah. have a run. Um, but you know, this is something really interesting, and I think talking about the sort of money and investment that people are, are putting into this sort of industry um, is something that is very phenomenal. Tom, you, as a game designer, what do you think about the way that uh, you know esports uh, are kind of shaping the direction of, of games? Would you ever be uh, pers- uh, persuaded, or uh, would you be inspired to make a game that could be along uh, an esports sort of route? Um, it's hard to say. I mean, it's the, the thing about the esports market is that it's pretty. Uh, I guess like you have to try to try to compete with things like Dota 2 and League of Legends and to try and get a market share in something like that would be just an insane prospect. So I don't see myself trying to compete with that directly, no. New Zoo uh, has, uh, does, does an expectation of, of the esports market and says that the market is more than likely to double um, and compares the audience size to that of the NFL in the US. And the NFL, of course, saying the Super Bowl is the most watched game uh, in the world, uh, if you don't count FIFA, which is actually the most watched game in the world. But it is a huge audience. You've got people who are watching huge, huge numbers. And it's a global audience in the way that soccer actually does kind of... Well, I'll tell you, by 2019, the industry will be worth $1.2 billion and the viewership will have increased to around $303 million. So it's on us up and up. It's That's a lot of people. I mean, as you said, it's kind of difficult to say whether or not you can kind of get into the market if you, as a game developer or whether you can actually you know, uh, get in as a player as well. This oh. is kind of turning into a huge, huge industry. I mean, it is a huge industry, uh, but it's turning into a much bigger industry and a much more organised industry. I can foresee it having, you know, let's just do a FIFA contrast, having your Premier, you know, having your Premier League, having your Div 1, Div 2, Div 3, because there's so many great players out there and, there's gonna, and that, that would make, you know, it would give them a goal even, you know, to work your way up the ranks to become that Premier Esports player. I wonder if you might. Feet. I wonder if you might see as well that you know the the leagues themselves at the moment are obviously controlled by the companies that are making the games. But maybe we might see sort of branch off leagues. I remember the Major League Gaming, who was bought by Activision uh, last year, um, had a sort of separate league in which they used to run tournaments for um, you know I, the companies. I, I would be concerned in that department because, like, let's say someone runs like a League of Legends tournament, which you probably could without any input from the League of Legends developer at all, could the League of Legends developer say, if they start earning, like, let's say, 
heaps of money, which they might at this point, would they say suddenly, oh, no, actually, we don't want that. Let's shut that down immediately because we own the game and we don't want that. It's interesting because obviously... they could potentially bully people out of this situation. Right. For example, like FIFA does have control over the professional sport of of soccer, right? Right. There's nothing to stop you taking a a soccer ball down to a park and and having a a, a game-level league there. You know, play with your mates, maybe a local club level. Wait, did you just say FIFA have holds over soccer? They do. What about all the other... What what about the Bundesliga and uh, all your other kind of, you know, your Italian series? That they control. So it's all FIFA is governed the governing by body. Well, what about you know exactly like you said? What about your county level kind of stuff? Well, I think that kind of you know if you get to a small enough Slips level, through the cracks. The thing is, there's it, kind of a, a you know a way that you need to work out how these sort of things are going to kind of well shuffle out in y- the thing. You use a film wank on Twitter on Twitch says money will ruin everything. That's yeah, true. No, it's it's hundred percent true. Definitely true. Thanks, it starts man. off the best of intentions, but you know, like eventually some, some some shit's gonna hit the fan. Look, it's really fascinating. I think we're gonna see more and more of this. I think uh, more sports teams who obviously are gonna play to their strength and know about investing in sport, investing in players, um, and the the mechanisms of making money out of that sort of uh, system and that sort of gaming system will will be getting more involved with this. I think you know you might see people uh, like some high profile investors who own uh, other sports teams and other leagues diversifying out into a, a smaller esports league in a, in a game like that I, i'd be interesting to see how many of these can actually be supported you know we, the audience is what determines what a game can support basically of course and there are obviously going to be games that are going to be the most popular and whether or not there will be a support for games that maybe aren't in the same league but are still very popular you know there are many people who play professional hockey and there are plenty of teams that you know will be playing that but you know it's not going to be the same as a fifa team or or an fa cup team or any of the uk um premiership uh, premier league teams or anything like that so you know it's it's really interesting um unfortunately that we have reached the end of the show tom thank you very much for joining us tom uh, if people want to go and find your game, where's the best place for them to head to? Uh, best place would be either Steam or GOG. We're on both. Uh, just search Tahira and you, it will be the first thing that comes so up. So that's T-A-H-I-R-A. Search for that. Don't search for Shadows of the Empire because that's a completely different game. Uh, thanks, Tom. It's been an amazing pleasure for, to have us uh, to, have, to join us for this episode. Uh, if you want to find more of our episodes, we have a website that is www.pixelsift.com.au. Uh, Mitch, we're also on some of the other podcasting platforms, aren't we? Yeah, we're on iTunes, if you're into that kind of thing, and Pocket Casts, and there's also RSS links on the website. That if you're in the United mentioned. States, you can get on Google Play as well. Still I'm still not, a little bit miffed that I, I can't access my own show in my country. Don't know why that is. Uh, and Scott, uh, if people want to follow us on social media, get in touch with us as well. Tell yeah. us. Just you can do it for Facebook.com forward slash Pixel Sift, Twitter.com forward slash Pixel Sift, Twitch.tv forward slash Pixel Sift, and YouTube.com forward slash Pixel Sift AU. Thanks for joining us. This has been episode 51 of Pixel Sift. We will be back again this time next week. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me. It's been great fun. See you then. Catch Cheers, us. Guys. Bye. Thank you.